After the sermon, let us sing Psalm 135, the 7th, the 9th, and the 10th stanzas. Our text this afternoon is found with our reading in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, 10, verses um, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we think of standing in the presence of God, we usually think of the life hereafter. We think of a time of judgment, God of God deciding who will be saved and who will not. It can make us nervous to dwell on that thought. How will it go with us? We know that Jesus is our Savior, but there are still those skeletons in our closet that we've never told anyone about. It doesn't help that our minds were formed to think along these lines. Think of the time when you were a child, you had been caught stealing, if only a cookie. Mother or father said, do you know the Lord punishes those who steal? And of course, in a way they were right, to live with sin and never Seek escape means that punishment awaits us. But to say this and no more only helped form the idea that our relationship with God depended ultimately upon us, upon our good works. This afternoon we have opened the scriptures to look at a different scenario Again, it is one of standing in the presence of God. But the purpose of this standing before God is not intended to make us nervous or fearful. On the contrary, it's meant to give us hope and reassurance. Congregation, as members of Christ, we heard that this morning as well, we need no longer live with fears of standing before God. 
We need only remember that everything of sin and death has been addressed by our Savior so that they no longer need to hold the grip they once did in our lives. In Christ, God has brought victory over death to our time. Shall the future frighten us again? Paradise has been restored through him. Today we may enter into the presence of God. Let us listen to the word of God this afternoon, congregation, and live with hope of the complete work. Yes, the completed work. Of Jesus Christ. I proclaim to you the word of our Lord as we find that with our text in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25, under the following theme and heads. What should we do now that we are able to enter into God's presence with confidence by the blood of the great high priest Jesus Christ? And then in the first place, we should draw near to God in the assurance of faith that comes from a cleansed heart. And life. Secondly, we should hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And third, we should spur on one another to love and good works. Yeah, you have it before you. First of all, then, the first point we should draw near to God in the assurance of faith that comes from a cleansed heart and life. Our text follows on the heels of the author to the Hebrews, elaborating on the unique work of Jesus Christ as our great high priest. The words of chapter 9, verse 11 and following summarize clearly what that unique work was and is. And therefore, I will quote these words to our comfort. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. As if this was not enough, the author just prior to our text strengthens his argument by presenting us with a further witness of this work of Christ, namely the Holy Spirit. And he says that he testifies as well that the one sacrifice of Christ cleanses us. The question we need to ask this afternoon is, if this is so, what does it do for the believer? 
Jesus Christ has brought the one sacrifice to God that is sufficient. What does that do for us? Well, obviously, brothers and sisters, it changes completely our status before God. And how do we know that? Well, it's seen, if you're willing to exercise it, it's seen with the freedom of believers to enter the presence of God. That's a world-shattering change, congregation. Quite in contrast to how things were before. And how were they before? Well, we see it with the people of Israel. The people of Israel, as you will recall, were always excluded from entering the most holy place. They always had to stand outside. There was a curtain that stood between them and the place where God dwelt in the most holy place. They could never look inside and see God's majesty and glory. It was denied them because they were sinful and unclean. Even the high priest could only go into the most holy place once a year, and in order for him to do so, he had to ceremonially be sprinkled clean. So, brothers and sisters, consider, therefore, what great things have happened to us on account that Jesus has done in his, what he has done in his one-time sacrifice for sin on our behalf. Access into God's presence has been opened for us by Jesus Christ. We are now allowed to go into that most holy place. We are allowed to stand in the presence of God. Imagine it. Imagine it. And I know we can't completely imagine it. And yet, you know what is, what is being said. The ineffective way of offering animals and, and offering dead works could never open the way to God. And we see that in the whole of the Old Testament history. We see it in all of the sacrifices, especially in their repetition. But then came Jesus. And what did he do? Now, brothers and sisters, he took over the role of yeah, the high priest, the sacrifice. But he also took over the role of the curtain. With the breaking of his body on the cross, the breaking apart of the curtain also took place. And what does that mean? Well, it has meaning for us, of course. For these things have been done on our account. What does it mean then? It means that you may now walk between the two halves and enter into the presence of God by a new and living way through the curtain that is His body. Brothers and sisters, consider 
how nervous it can make you thinking about standing before God on the day of judgment. But now think of what we just said. Today you may stand in the presence of God and it has nothing at all to do with your being judged. You and I may confidently say to each other, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. That was never possible before. It is now. And you may take advantage of that congregation. Indeed, you must. You must. You will need to understand then that this standing before God is not about having some out-of-body, out-of-world experience. It's a spiritual thing. It's a matter of experiencing God in the firm inner certainty of faith which is founded on Christ's sacrifice. And not that that makes it any less real, if we say it is a spiritual thing. For faith is the only thing that can hold us to any of God's promises, and that's always in the spiritual. Except we have faith, we have nothing that allows God's work to influence our lives. That's why Paul said in Romans to the Roman Christians, the righteous shall live by faith alone. And then it's always the question, are you set to do that, brothers and sisters? Are you ready to work out your own salvation, this salvation that is put in your place? set before you as a gift from Jesus Christ? Start then. Enter God's presence. Draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance. What does that mean? It means approach God. Do so in prayer. And not unlike what we said This morning, you can just do that. Just enter into God's presence and ask Him. Ask. I also heard that this morning, many people seek God through prayer. But they don't always seek Him in the full assurance of knowing that He is there. They often pray as if God is... is A mystery, as if God is someone who is far off, as if he's someone that we have to fear, that our prayers as such are are those of asking him to, to not punish us. Are we not to go in full assurance? What does the word of God say? What does it mean to us? We may only... Come to Him in, uh, if we have full confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know that that blood has been shed. Do you not? The author says, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us 
from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What more do we need? For it's guilt that keeps us away, but it says here, our hearts sprinkle to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Having our bodies washed with pure water. Having what we think of as sin. Having that taken away. Cleansed. You cannot come to God on your own. Keep that in mind. You need to go through the only opening to His throne. That opening is the place where the curtain has been torn, where the broken body of Christ is broken for you. His blood now sprinkles your hearts, making you clean inside. You need to come having your outsides, your body washed with pure water. The water of baptism, which also represents His blood, and we could see it as a promise already today to this child that was baptized before your eyes. Before the Lord, never underestimate the effectiveness of the work of Jesus Christ. Never minimize the victory He has won by dismissing the call to draw near to God as one, as if you were one that has to wait for the hereafter. Do you think He left us ill-equipped in our struggle against sin here on earth? If not to restore us fully to God, would He not have taken us out of this life with Him at the ascension? Don't set aside what Jesus gives for helping you to stand before God in the full assurance of faith. Christ has paid the price for you. For you. Didn't do it for Himself. He did it for you. What does that mean? He covers your filthy garments with His white mantle. You may now stand in confidence before God. You may address the face of God. We come to the second point. We should hold unswervingly to this hope we profess. Brothers and sisters, the author next makes the argument that if we have the full assurance of faith, it is bound to confess aloud, not only in the assembly of the elect, but also to the world. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As fire has heat and light, so faith has confession. However, one may not overlook that with our text, the believers are encouraged to hold on to this hope. We can Continue to live with the realities of life, congregation. As much as we preach and we encourage, we're also saying at that same time that not everything is perfect in us. And yet we want 
to have as much of what Christ has given, do we not? Not everything of what we do, even when we speak of standing in the presence of God, always translates into the perfect action of faith. As we heard with our first point, there's always the need to draw near to God in true faith. It's an ongoing process, this drawing near. We have to do it again and again. We do not live in the new heaven and the new earth yet, where everything is perfectly done. We need to exercise our faith and to take hold of of our franchise. And so the author also says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful, There are many things in this life that that plague us, discourage us, and try to take our hope away. It's not that once we know how to enter the most holy place, we no longer have to deal with the realities of, of, of life. The simplicity and the spirituality of Christianity carry with it that there are things that we do not do when we should do. And brothers and sisters, there are many there to to criticize us as as Christians and how we live. And that can be discouraging. There can be those who say, It's not true that which you believe in faith to be true. Just as that's true today was also true in those days. There were the Judaizers, even the Jews, in the days of the believers, in the days of the Hebrews addressed in this letter who place much emphasis on symbols and ritual. And on account of that, they were very quick to criticize the early Christians. They said, well, if you don't have the sign of circumcision, the Old Testament, as Old Testament Israel had, they said, well, then you're not, you're not quite there yet. You're not as good as we, the Judaizers, are. We know today that millions upon millions of those who call themselves Christians are steeped in symbol and ritual. Think of the Roman church. There's always a danger in being a Christian, a giving up on the spiritual and going back to the ritual, of going from reality back to the shadows. Look at what has happened in in evangelical circles. It's no longer sufficient just to proclaim the gospel, to show the wonders of of the work of Jesus Christ. Somehow people need to be attracted. They bring in the musical bands. They bring in the lively testimonials. Say, well, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. 
And not to feel exclusive and just pat ourselves on the back. What do we see happening in reform circles? It's more of the same. People say, why can't we? And perhaps this is not so prevalent with us yet, but why can't we have more entertainment in church? Why can more not be done? Why can we not be more entertaining in bringing a message across to people? Why can the sermon not be shorter and the music more? Seeing is believing seems to be the motto for today. But Scripture doesn't speak of seeing as the way of faith, congregation. It speaks rather of the things that we do not see but yet believe, Hebrews 11. We're being provoked to let go of that simple faith. It's affecting our people as well. The difficulties, the urgencies of our time are having their effect. But I fear that what people seek to replace the truth of Scripture with will do greater harm rather than good in most instances. For what is, what is the way that we are called to go here? It just says, hold on to. Hold on to what you have. Hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. And we've seen the way of that hope. It places us before the very face of God. Don't change the reality of what Jesus has presented you with. Don't change that for ritual and symbols which cater only to the here and now. The author says later in our chapter, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and a lasting possession. Now we don't know what this was all about. The author doesn't say in what what the context was exactly of this persecution. But we can relate to it quite well. How did they stand their ground against such great opposition? They simply, in faith, held before them the face of God. And that's what we need to know. That's all we need to know. And then know as well that the way of faith will always produce enemies. People like to live with the status quo. They like to be in control of their religion. And so they erect symbols for convincing them what it is they have. 
We read that this afternoon and sung it as well. For all of these symbols, there's no life in them. People make them up in order to convince themselves, yes, I have something. I can hang on to my God and therefore I feel secure. But it doesn't give anything in the end because everything is dumb. They have no voice, they have no ears, they have no eyes to take in whatever so-called believer has to say. They're just as dumb as the as, a, as is wood and iron and, and what have you. We must withstand the criticism that people place in our way. Don't back out, but only take hold of what Jesus has given And he's given us access to God. No less. No less. He's broken the the curtain that stands between him and us in his own body. What more can we have for our good, for our salvation? There's nothing. Nothing is left to chance. Everything has been secured. By Jesus Christ. And so the author said, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. You will receive what He has promised. Do that, brothers and sisters. Do it as you are individually called to live this confidence and do it also together as a body of Christ. That brings us then to our last point. We should spur on one another to love and good works. The way of faith is the way of God seeking to bring all of his children together. It's only through faith congregation that we learn to identify the full purpose God has with us. We will not see it in the symbols. We will only see it in the truth. And that truth is to be taken hold of by faith. We won't see it in things that scatter and divide, but we will only see it in things that bring about unity. And what have we seen where people look outside of this simple command of of the author, the command of Christ? We see division. Do you think that God likes the way the Christian churches are of today are divided? Many say there's nothing wrong with one worshiping here and the other worshiping there. 
They speak of how the church is enhanced by being pluriform in its makeup. But is that how the church ought to be? It doesn't say it in our text. Rather, it speaks of believers being in a position to spur one another on toward love and good works. I sense in this, in these words, a need for us to be together. Don't you think? If we're going to urge on one another, you can't be over there today and me over here, and I don't know what you're saying, you don't know what I'm saying. And we ask the question, why are we not heeding this call for unity in Christendom? We have to ask, but what is our focus? Is the focus on his horizontal realities? Such that nothing is done any longer with regard to the vertical? And we do that if we say, we all worship the same God, go to the church of your choice. That's a horizontal statement. Because ultimately we have to consider there's only one church of choice, is there not? It's the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one he died for, the one he seeks to present without spot or blemish to the Father one day. How to bring that about? By having those who belong to it spur one another on towards love and good works. How to do that? The author says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What does it mean to stand in the presence of God in, in full confidence congregation? In that sense in which we are all called to stand there, it means that unity must always be sought and by God's grace achieved. God does not want us to be of divided minds, for God is not a God of division. Everything he has ever done speaks of the uniting of a people. All he has ever done, he has done through an opening which is his son, Jesus Christ. That narrow opening and yet that wonderful opening, the only opening into his presence. And we must see each other as going along together through that passage. For as Paul says in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. Let us continue to encourage one another, brothers and sisters. The day is approaching when all things will be made whole. Already now, we have the opportunity to stand in the presence of God. We have been restored. And God therefore expects our, all of our efforts.
for making ourselves wholesome in his sight. That is what lighting our lamps and making ourselves ready in faith is all about. Live by faith, congregation. Address the Lord as those who have been allowed to come into his presence and seek always to do his will alone. Amen.